Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical podcast, and I'm smiling <laughs> because you are in for a treat again, Caritadio. And uh, I don't know why we didn't get Tom on here too, but he, I'm sure he would rather have you be the spokesperson anyway, right, Kara? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. So we're going to get into Kara's amazing journey from New York to Charlotte, North Carolina, and all the cool stuff that she's done. But here's the heartbeat question, Kara. So you guys are uh, now it's starting to be spring again. So baseball season is kicking up and you're traveling somewhere along the East Coast to watch your 14-year-old's baseball games and tournaments. And somebody recognizes you in a distant state far, far away on the East Coast. And they go, hey, that's Caritadio. And they start talking about you, but don't realize that you can overhear everything that they're saying about you. What would you want somebody to say about you? Now, this is where you want Tom because everybody recognizes Tom because he's more front of house. And I'm sort of like, Oz, I drive the business behind the scenes. But I had a really beautiful moment last week on Valentine's Day, actually, a worker, um, a line cook that took the time to asked myself and Tom to come in for a meeting. And of course we thought he was going to quit. And um, he's a challenging employee, put it to you that way. Um, line cooks tend to be not your run of the mill people. Um, and he had taken the time to write us Valentine's Day cards, telling us how much we've impacted his life. And it's probably one of the most moving moments in my career, to be honest. Um, and he described me in that card in three words that I said that day. I said, if I were to die tonight, put this card up and make sure it's in my eulogy. He said, your wit, your passion, and your fairness make me a better man. Wow. So Woo. I feel like I, I would never describe myself as generous, but I think that's it. Fair, transparent. And I hold everyone to the same standard, whether it's my kids, my employees, myself. And I think that's it. I mean, well, I, mean, I think that's great. Some can't, you know, some people don't love transparency, but I'm a live my life by a day in and day out. So we got to do another quick shout out to Jack Santanello, who introduced us to you. <laughs> and our lives have never been the same. And it's been so fun to get to know you. And it was about a year ago that we had our 100th week anniversary when it was still called 820, but now it's called the Hamilton, which is such a cool venue in Charlotte, North Carolina. We'll get into that too, but uh, tip of the hat to Jack for making that intro. And I love those three words, Kara, because I think they perfectly describe you. Very good. So, yeah. And that comes from one of my line cooks, not me. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it really is cool. So if you're Thanks. in, I'm oh, sorry. Um, if you're in the Charlotte area and you don't know Kara, there's also still a good chance that you have at least been to one of her venues before. So Kara is the owner of BBGB Beer Garden and Restaurant and owner of the Hamilton, and like Gary just alluded to, previously known as 820. So Kara, before we dive into the businesses and and the entrepreneurial journey. I want to go back a little bit. Talk to us first about what you were doing prior to starting BBGB. I turned a crack hotel into a four-star hotel right in the heart of the Upper West Side of Manhattan. 
I literally took a job sight unseen. And the reason I took the job was because I could walk from my apartment and it meant I never had to get on the New York subway. I was like, sign me up. Um, and it was an experience in my downtime someday. I'll probably write a book. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen um, the Cecil Hotel, the documentary based out of LA, but my situation was a little bit similar. Um, so the first five years, I literally deroached, deinfested, and tried to get rid of squatters as much as possible. Because of what a lot of people don't know in New York City, down to the St. Regis and the nicest hotels there, uh, there are permanent residents in there that come from back in the day. So anytime you convert a residential property to commercial, you inherit all the tenants, and they are a cast of characters. Um, so I had 154 when I started. I was there for 10 years. I left when. 46. Um, so just the process of getting rid of the squatters and converting the hotel itself. I could tell you story after story after story down to the 90-year-old grandfather who sat right next to me. I worked for an Orthodox Jewish family, so I was a multimillionaire from Friday night till Saturday night until Shabbat, uh, Sabbath was over. Because um, I don't know how many of you know, but they can't make a profit during Shabbos, so they have to hire shiksas to own the companies. Uh, during that time. Um, and Sydney was a the grandfather who was sat in the office next to me, had to like be my chauffeur for two years because I had death threats out of my life from some of the residents. Hilarious. I mean, there's so many stories. So that was my prior life. My kids were both, I moved into the hotel at year five when I felt safe enough from rodents um, and literally lived in the hotel for the next five years. And both my kids were actually born and lived in the hotel as well. And that's, what so took you into hoteling? I'm just curious. Um, it's another great story. So I don't know. We work. Everybody knows we work. Um, it really wasn't that genius of an idea. The original WeWorks were HQ business centers, and that started in New York City. Um, I moved to New York City two years after college, as gray as they come. I had no idea. I went to a job interview to be a word processor, which is hilarious in itself. Um and I ended up being the youngest operations manager they'd ever hired. And that was selling office space. And so HQ Business Centers was exactly what WeWork is. They were turnkey office solutions. And I worked my way up and one day got shopped by another Jewish guy who was opening his own brand in White Plains, New York. And he he took me. And so I partnered with him and we opened a brand. Um, and then I came back and managed three of our facilities. And then just had a turning point personally, and I needed a break from New York City. Um, and when I left, three of my clients were like, when you're ready to look for another job, call us. We know exactly where you need to be. And it was working for this guy who owns quite a bit of hotel property in New York City. And so when I was ready, I called him and I said, all right, I'll meet him. Went down, met this owner in Times Square. He owned, at the time, we had six hotels. And any fun fact, he owned all the state prisons in Texas just how they got their start. Um, and met him. I had to be interviewed by the rabbi. I had to be interviewed by the other four men. Uh, hilarious. I was the only female manager and by far two decades younger than everyone. So the rabbi really did have to come give me a blessing. So the whole experience was hilarious um, and right up my alley. I mean, I don't want anything normal. Give me quirky, weird, great. I'm in. Um, God forbid I would take an easy path 
to do anything, which is, you know, now we're in restaurants and bars and by far way harder than turning a crack hotel over. <laughs> so, yeah, you like things different, but you're walking into this hotel site unseen. It, story. it must have been overwhelming to come in and see exactly what the shape of it actually was. You remember what that that feeling was and how I you just told someone this story this weekend about my entrance into the hotel. I literally walked in in my Ann Taylor suit and heels and there was a bird cage in the lobby with two birds scratching away. And I was like, oh, my God, like there's birds living in the hotel lobby. So I looked at the man, the whole front desk team. I'm like, hey, everybody, my name is Kara. I, I know, you know, I'm coming. I'm the new GM. Um, you all have task one. I'm going to go upstairs, see my office. And when I come back downstairs, these birds need to be gone. And they're all like, okay. And the story turns out, sure enough, one of the front desk people, they were all petrified. We're like, took the birds home. Someone came and picked them up. They put them on the curb in New York City, waiting for someone to come pick up these birds. So that was day one. Un unbelievable. And <laughs> How how long until you felt like you were on track, right? Because if you walk in and it's a dumpster fire, this is not an overnight thing, right? This is a while until you can feel like you're actually moving in the right direction. So what did that look like for you? I don't know. It's oddly enough, the story will sound similar to VBGB. At some point you hit your, and a lot of entrepreneurs I think will agree with this. At some point you hit your critical mass and you don't know how or why it happened or when. And when is really important because you're just organically plugging along and you're busting your yeah. ass. And one day you're breathing a little better. So, and I think VBGB was the exact same thing. It was a dumpster fire. Um, and one day you're like, oh my God, we can afford takeout. And at one point in the hotel career, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, now I feel safe enough to move in. Yeah. Uh, so I think- like any good business story, I can't tell you there was, there's never an exact moment. There's mm -hmm. a moment when you're sort of reflecting and you're like, Hey, I'm not working 18 hours a day. I'm able to go out for dinner and not worry about my phone ringing and having to go put out a fire. Um, oh my gosh, I slept through the night without a phone call. And so it's kind of more of a reflective. I can't tell you at all. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about when I started the hotel, it was right after 9-11. So I lived in New York City on 9-11. Another fun fact about me is I was on an airplane on 9-11 trying to leave Spain. Um, ended up being detained in Spain for eight more days because we couldn't fly back into New York City. And I think that whole experience was so powerful. Um, and then I took the hardest job possible. Let me get into hospitality in New York City two months after 9-11. Yep. So oddly, I think I've, I'm the youngest of nine. Another fun fact for y'all. I've always had to kind of prove I can do it. I can do it. I can give me the hardest thing. I'll do it. I think I'm wired that way, even from my childhood. It's just give me the thing that not one of my brothers or sisters has done. And it kind of trumps them. Um, there's a weird fight you get when you're raised the way we were raised. Um, and I think I somehow I'm drawn to that. And in a weird way, you can only go up. So as much as I take on the most difficult things, you can only build yourself up where a lot of people walk into the perfect running thing and struggle because it's really hard to fit and replace amazing shoes. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. where we when you walk into a dumpster fire, you've got a little bit of street cred. You're going to look like a hero no matter what you do, right? You can't, I mean, they literally were getting ready to condemn this building. Um, and I was like, oh, don't do that. Let's see. Give me a year. Yeah. Uh, you got birds out of out of the hotel and that was an upgrade. So so you're right. There was only up from where you you walked in at first. Yeah. I mean, there was a violation every step you took in this building. And to your point, like just getting rid of all the violations when the inspectors just stopped coming allowed you to start doing. Um, so that job was phenomenal and fascinating. And again, people, I think anyone that knew me, including the rabbi, were probably like, we got six months with this girl, Max. There's no way. And those are my favorite stories because don't tell me no. No just means yes in my world for real. And I I haven't changed. I mean, in VBGB, if I, Tom and I used to joke all the time in the first year, if we had a dime for every person that came in and said, wow, this concept is so cool. I hope you guys make it. And it's the, like the most annoying statement. And I, it just rings so much. Like people are like, this just is too cool. It's not going to work in Charlotte. And I was like, okay, okay. And here we are going into year 13. I love what you said early on. And that's why you are on the anything but typical podcast, because you are truly anything but typical. I love your journey. You know, I'm curious too, the the youngest of nine kids, yeah, having to be scrappy and all that kind of stuff. I'm curious when we go back to before the hotels and before you moved to New York and you <laughs> you show up in your aunt Taylor I don't know suit. if we want to go there. <laughs> oh yes, I I here's where I want to go with it. You know, you, you said that you were like uh, I don't remember data data processing or something like that. I can't re- can't remember, but yeah, I I can't kind of imagine. I, you're so detail oriented, but you're also like get it done, you know, kind of person, which I really like about you. <clears throat> so. I'm curious, like when you were in school, did you have aptitude tests or anything that started making you think, oh, I'm I'm a this or that? And how how did you discover, oh, you know, these are kind of my superpowers, you know, having you be and you said, hey, I'm I'm kind of behind the scenes, behind, you know, the back of the house, Tom's at the front of the house. But man, you are the engine that makes stuff happen. I mean, I've just seen it. So I'm curious about just that discovery personally on, oh, well, people were saying I should do this, but I started finding that I'm actually really good in these things. Yep. Um, So I went to a small Jesuit college in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, And I remember my senior year, we had to do an intern and I interned at IDS Financial Services, which I'm not even sure if they're still a brand. Uh, but they were a financial planning service company. And I probably was hungover every day I went and probably couldn't function. And I never will forget the review that I got at the end, which was, she's okay, but she should probably not be in operations management, which is hilarious because if I'm not multitasking, I'm probably failing. Um, I definitely had undiagnosed ADD. In fact, my mom got me glasses when I was a junior in college because I was, I mean, I was a terrible student, terrible. Um, I hated college academically. I loved it socially. It was a whole new world. Um, I certainly did not apply myself in college, but I had to survive because I was on full financial aid. Any dime I needed 
was our, there was no money in our family. And I'd say that generously, there was no money. Um, so I had to hustle. And I think when you grow up again, I didn't even know I was hustling. And I can tell you from my job day one, even in my childhood, people used to be like, she's going to do something. And I, I never, you don't get it. You know what I mean? You don't know you're different until you're reflecting. I think the day I walked into college, I knew I was different. I came from a podunk little town in Massachusetts, no money, but I had one best dressed, my senior superlatives at my college. I mean, at my high school. And when I walked in, I mean, I didn't know what the J Crew was. I didn't know what Gap was. I pretty much knew what our local comparison, like Kmart, that's what we had. Um, and I really struggled freshman year, just understanding the rest of the world. So kudos to my mom. She did a really great job at covering up how different we actually were. Um, but that comes with its own sticker shock value when you are thrown into society in a college with a lot of rich kids and just a life. I, I mean, no idea, no idea. Um, and academically, I would say, and my son is blessed a little bit. I have a little bit of photographic. I'm absolutely not photographic, but I can memorize things visually really well. Um, my brain just operates on like, oh, tell me 10 plus 10, 20, 20, 20, 20. I'm done. I never need to write it again. Um, that's great until you go to college. And I had no idea how to study. I like independent living outside of scrapping. That's all I did. I mean, I worked my family and I passed down the weekend store. We lived in a dry town. It was called the country store. And eight of us had the weekend manager job. It passed right down the Gowdies. Um, we all weekend managed. I mean, I was working at 12. So, and I always had money to buy things in my mother, my mother, we probably supported my mom, to be honest, much of our childhood because she was doing the best she could, but she was a single mom, nine kids. I don't, she was a school teacher. Um, so, and God forbid anybody would know that I might have had free lunch or things like that. So from a very early age, I had weird so, social issues that freaked me out. Like people knowing I had free lunch or God forbid I wasn't wearing the coolest sneakers um, so I worked my ass off to make sure I could get those things. And I think somewhere it's instilled in you. Right. And again, I don't know. I knew my first job out of college was at state street bank in Boston. And I used to fall asleep at my desk all the time because a, I had ADD and my version of ADD is more like a narcolepsy. I get really bored. And a lot of people don't know that that's actually just as bad as hyper. Um, I literally have a hard time staying awake if I get into situations that are awful. So I slept through college. My first job was this awful desk job at State Street Bank, and I used to literally fall asleep. Um, but then I would power crush a session or I would just work from home because I could be in a comfort zone that I could get shit done faster than the norm. So it wasn't ever a problem because I would just figure out. And I will tell you, I'm going to show you all since I am 21 years old, I've been using this pad and this pen. Um, OCD probably uh, literally since I'm 21 and it's got to be the V5. I can't use a V7. And if anyone has OCD and understands that your pen is your success, this pen is my success tool. <laughs> um, so I am a big to-do list person. I can't do it computerized digitally. 
I have to have these lists. And it's really funny. I didn't know how ADD I was till I got pregnant. Um, and I, my business coach used to be like, you're the best self-managed ADD person I've ever met because I did, I ran all the time, serotonin and made to-do lists and they're great. Anyone I meet now, I always say, and all the kids have ADD, right? I don't know how anyone's not going to have it in this generation, but that's a different story. But everyone I meet, I'm like, make your kids do to-do list, make them write things down. Um, and they should do them in the morning and one at night so that you feel just as accomplished when you go to bed. You're checking off everything you did and then you're setting yourself up for the next day. Um, and I think somehow intrinsically, I just knew the tools that I needed to work for me. And I swear this is literally, my success is all based on these two things. I don't know. All right. So man, that, that was so good. <laughs> so rich. <laughs> I knew we were going to have a fun one with you on this. <laughs> it's already a lot of fun because there's a lot of learning, man. I mean, dang, coming from a family with nine kids, single mom, doing the best she can on a teacher's salary. I mean, I grew up with a teacher as a dad, so I, I can appreciate that, but we had far fewer kids like, wow. Okay. So, and, and the fact that, okay, somebody said, oh, and this is like painful and funny to hear. She's okay. But operation operations management, probably not the thing. And yet I think you run circles around anybody I know in that role. So I'm curious, why do you think somebody gave you that mark? Because I was 18 in college and I discovered alcohol. I mean, oh, really, okay. like, I I was failing every class. I hated studying. I still, to this day, cannot read books. It's not my thing. I need, like, pictures. I can read articles all day long, but I cannot read a book cover to cover. So that's college, right? Like, and yeah. you're allowed to do it on mm. top of it. Like, here you go. Go at it. Um, <clears throat> and again... I overcame it all without anyone else telling me what was wrong. So, and I think in this generation and even with my kids, I really work hard. Like my mother gave me glasses and even that. And again, I was told I was a troublemaker. You're stupid. You know, you're not going to go anywhere. Um, but it's interesting. My first job at state street, uh, out of State Street Bank when I moved to New York City. Now oh, my cats are joining us in case you can't see them. Um, <laughs> my first job in New York City, I was hired as an operations manager. So it's hilarious that I used to say back in the day, I wish I could find that IDS lady and tell her like, the truth is I thrive in chaos. I don't know that holds true the older I get, but for when you're young and energetic, I definitely thrived in chaos. I needed 10 fun fires on my to-do list. Um, the most boring things never get done because I want the fire. I love putting out fires. It's what I'm good at. And I love managing people. It's also something I'm really good at. Um, and I just love people, actually. I And it's funny because I would say I'm more of an introvert. I'm diagnosed an introvert with an extrovert shell um, because I just love to hear other people's stuff. I put me in France in a coffee shop. I'm sitting there for four hours. I don't want to go to museums. It's not my thing. I want to meet randoms and just hear their stuff. Like, I don't need to look at history. It's boring to me. I want to hear about now what's happening, who you are, how do y'all function? 
what can you teach me? Um, you almost needed the hotel when you walk into it to be that type of chaotic dumpster fire, because otherwise you're going to be sitting at a desk bored, falling asleep, like your state street job. hundred percent. And VB was the exact same thing. I never saw it. Tom came sight unseen. We did not know a soul in Charlotte except for my brother, who was adamantly opposed to everything we were doing. And so much so warned my entire family not to invest in us because craft beer wouldn't succeed. A huge patio. People don't sit outside in Charlotte. And this is in 2010. Um and they're not going to have Bud Light on tap. It, it's just a dead man walking. So I have one brother. I have six brothers. One brother invests in two sisters. And I'm the ninth. So it's six and three. And one brother invested. And guess what? He's my brother that doesn't drink at all. So it's kind of hilarious. Even that story is amazing. Like yeah. my brothers are love beer. Um, except one who's completely dry. And he's the only one who invested in us. <laughs> for my immediate family. Um, I'm curious because of that needing chaos, getting bored and having that be a wither zone type thing for you. Did that lead towards you getting out of the, uh, the hotel of you started with this mass chaos, you build it into this four-star hotel that you're able to live in and you've seen all the growth. Was it getting to that tipping point of getting bored, needing the next challenge or what was, what led to the change? Children. Plain and simple. Yeah. Um, Tom and I were going to be that cool couple that raised their kids in New York City. I mean, we really had no intention um, until the first day I went outside with a stroller. And it's hilarious because I had five tenants underneath my hotel. And thank God I knew them all. Um, but I went outside. Our son, Rocco, was born in December. And I went outside for the first time. Now, I worked in a landmark building in New York City, which is a, a whole other story. Landmark buildings are a bear. They're old and broken down, and you can't fix them without millions and millions of dollars in zoning. That's that's all that means. Landmark means fuck. <laughs> that's all that means. Um, so the elevators are this big. So again, I've been working here for eight years. I now have a child and go to get in the, stro the stroller in the elevator, and guess what? It doesn't fit. Oh, my gosh. So I have to use the freight elevator anytime we want to leave. Then I get down to the grocery store and my stroller doesn't fit down the aisle. And I'm like, what are we supposed to do? Leave your kid at the end of the aisle in New York City? Yeah, everybody does that. And thankfully, I know all the guys in the supermarket because they're my tenant. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, you're just supposed to know all these things. And I think the hardest job I've ever been given is parenting because I am a self-succeeded model, right? I will figure it out. And you can put me in anywhere. I'll figure it out. I'll meet the coolest person. I'll get lucky. None of that applies to childhood. So having children has been by far the most challenging thing I did. And because you're now feeling that I like to take the hardest path possible. My son Rocco was a year and I just had our daughter. Our kids are a year apart. We moved to Charlotte the day VBG construction started and my daughter was a month old. So now we're raising two infants building a brand, no money because we quit our job, didn't know enough that I should have kept working until the day it opened, but didn't have that hindsight. Um, and so the story begins. We come, I come back up from the supermarket an hour later, I'm sweating, Rocco's sweating because we li literally went outside for two seconds to a supermarket. 
And I just walked in. I'm like, we got to go. Tom, we are never going to make it here. Like, unless you're a gazillionaire. Like a fun fact about New York City, there's only like four handicap subway spots, which handicap also means stroller accessible. So you have to know to go to 72nd Street to get your stroller in an elevator. Otherwise, you're relying on the kindness of New Yorkers to help you down the stairs just to get on a subway. So it's kind of wild. A lot of things people don't re you don't realize till you're living. But New York City is probably one of the least child friendly and handicap friendly cities in the world, which is unbelievable. But it's true. Um, and it's all wild. The first three months of having Rocco, I mean, I'm I would say I was probably in postpartum. Uh, but it was everything was so hard. I mean, harder than anything I've ever done in my life. Like just getting him to a doctor's appointment where you're Fun fact, you don't need a car seat if you're riding in a taxi. Who knew? Um, so you're sitting there holding this kid because you've already sweating, trying to get your stroller, your carrier, everything in the cab. Half the cabs won't pick you up. They're like, oh no, baby. Mm -mm. Um, so the experience itself was, I think there's nothing like children to teach you. You actually don't control everything. Um, and it's still the hardest lesson I deal with every day because I'm a control freak. And again, give me the hardest problem and I'll um, crack that code faster than anyone. And the truth is children will humble you like nothing else I've ever experienced. Um, so that was the moment, the light bulb moment I came back and said, Tom, there's no way we can do this. Like we're going to end up having to move out of the city. And this is ironic. This will come back. My formula on why we needed to leave New York city was we're going to end up having to move out. I'm going to commute three hours a day. I'm going to miss their whole childhood. And we're gonna have no money anyway, because real estate's so crazy. Okay, so we come to visit my brother in Charlotte. Uh, ironically, Tom and I took these online tests that would tell you compatible cities you were both in, because we were open for adventure. There was no plan. It was, let's just go start somewhere new. We both have skills. My husband at the time, filmmaking was his passion, and he was, has worked at every name celebrity restaurant no, between LA and New York because he made so much money just waiting tables and he was funding his film passion. Um, so he was going to get a job, no problem. And I was confident enough and I was actually getting licensed with my business coach to potentially open a brand of business coaching. I thought that was something I'd be really into. And I still at some point think I might do that, but I was going to be a business coach and Tom was going to figure it out. And we had two babies. So we come down, we Go. To, I was pregnant with my daughter the first time. My brother set us up with his friend just to look at real estate. Brought me into the first house and I threw up everywhere because I was pregnant. And it was, I'll never forget, it was an Asian lady cooking fish and I don't eat fish. And the smell of fish alone is childhood traumatizing for me. Um, I won't get into all my trauma stories, but fish is a big one. And um, I threw up everywhere and I was like, oh my God. And my brother's friend's like, I got you pegs. Brought us to a development in Valentine Stone Creek Ranch and everyone listening will laugh because it's so well known, literally next to Polo Ridge, but we were the third house in on the development and we are the typical, you're going to meet so many Charlatans that say this, like New Yorkers, I can get a house, how big, for how much, uh, sign me up, even if we don't live here. So I knew that night I went back and said, Tom, let's buy the biggest lot and the biggest house, no matter what, this will be the best investment we ever make. Who cares if we never live here? Um, so that's what we did. So we had no plan. I just built the biggest house on this lot because coming from where we are, were in relativity, it was a joke. It was like, really? Okay. So we came down to close and here's the light bulb moment where we Googled a beer garden. I'm eight months pregnant. We have a one-year-old. He wasn't even one. 
um, and Tom was really into craft beer. And they were just on the scene in New York City of these really cool family-friendly outdoor environments where you can go and have a beer and kids can run around and it's family-friendly. And there's the light bulb moment for sure. Tom said there isn't one in Charlotte. And we were both like, what? Like, come on. And there's no beer garden to go celebrate the closing of this house. We're not even sure if we're going to live in. So that's the start of EBJB. And our... So... I mean, we could we could do a whole like mini series here, don't you think, Ben? I think there's a there's a mini series here with Kara. Um, I'm curious about this online test for compatible cities because you know by that point Charlotte and North Carolina probably had really screwed up the whole film tax incentives. Everything had moved to Atlanta for the Southeast, at least. Absolutely. So. So I'm curious, what did the online assessment tell you? It was nothing professionally. It was about what cities would you and your spouse be compatible living in? Because neither one of us wanted to force the other, like we just wanted to go in the dark. And so I found these, all I've learned is the older I get, the more I'm just a data nerd. And I think I never knew that's what I was until, I don't even know if I still know it, but I think I'm a data nerd. And if there's a quiz or a test, I'm in it. And if there's something that, you know, will tell you your likelihood and your stats of like success, I'm in it. Um, so I literally found these, it's more, it was more about what's your ideal living. It had nothing to do with career. It was all about the top 10 cities that you and your spouse, and we took them completely blind separate. So neither one of us knew the other's answers. And then it spits out, these seem like compatible cities for you. Charlotte, ah. up. And my brother happened to live in Valentine at the time. So that's how we were like, well, let's just go visit Charlotte. We have a brother. My brother's there. Tom had never been here. I had been here once and was like, oof, I could not live there. They said, God bless you at the checkout at Tater. <laughs> and that alone was like, what is happening down here? Um, and so we did. We came and visited. And like I said, purely at the time, it was a real estate investment. That's it. And then it was a let let's go get a, he wanted a beer. And I was like, cool, let's go to a beer garden, check out what their scenes are like. Interesting. So Charlotte was on the list independently for both of you. Yeah. Charlotte, Colorado, Denver, and Charleston were the top three. Interesting. Very mm -hmm. different cities. <laughs> All three of them are very different. Mm -hmm. I don't think this will surprise anyone, but our honeymoon consisted, uh, the honeymoon's a whole nother episode, but we'll, I'll give you the snippets consisted of going to Italy, meeting a broker and going to look at Airbnbs because my dream was to raise kids by national because I really love Europe. I think there's it all of all of my 20s and 30s. I internationally traveled. In fact, going to L.A. this week for spring break, it's the first time I'll ever be in L.A. I have done nothing domestic, but I have traveled extensively internationally. I told you I just love culture and I love seeing Americans are a little bit boring for me. Um, when you start to see culture and you just realize it's amazing we are all one heartbeat because it's it, nothing fascinates me more than meeting other international people. Um, and I really loved, I spent a lot of time in Greece um, in a prior existence. And there's just something so lovely and the, working for Orthodox Jews my whole career in New York City there's something really beautiful about a lot of the customs and traditions that you learn that other people celebrate. And the lifestyle in Israel is amazing. 
um, the lifestyle, even in like Paris, like it's just that all the downtime that goes into successful living that we miss. Um, we don't, we have never in America understood that like, you need this, you need this downtime, you need this forced family time. Um, you need to connect. And I don't think Americans really understand what it means to connect in a way that will actually make you thrive. Um, so I had this vision. We were going to be living in Italy six months a year and America six months a year. No, neither one of us have visas to do that. But, you know, if you're going to tell me I can do it, I'll do it. Um, and so we looked at Airbnbs in Italy on islands for our honeymoon. And that was our honeymoon because I wanted to buy an Airbnb and run it. The that forced downtime, the time to connect. Have you, I know Americans in general don't do that. You're right. But have you found ways to implement that for you and your family over the years? No. no. <laughs> and is and owning your own business is not a healthy start. Right. right. No. Yeah. No. So if you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. We'll, we'll end up doing multiple episodes just on trying to figure that problem out. Uh, great. Right. <laughs> um, so you guys have this light bulb moment. You're trying to find a beer garden. It doesn't exist. And like any other normal person, you're like, well, okay, then we'll just create it ourselves. <laughs> no, I know. That's that's what I'm alluding to. So, so no, like any other normal person, I looked at my husband and I said, are you high? Like, we're trying to make life easier. We have two kids. You want to go into business together and build a beer garden? Like, ew, no, I don't drink beer, um, which is just another fun fact. Um which is probably why we've succeeded. I don't drink our profit. <laughs> um, but I was like, hell no. And I knew at that point he is, he was more of an artist and I was business and that hasn't changed. And part of my transparency, it sounds amazing on paper. Don't ever go into business with your spouse. I don't care what you are going to do on a coffee shop on 36,000 square feet. Like we do. Um, it's a recipe for disaster. And I say that with all of the sincerity in the world, um, there is no ability to disconnect. So there's to your point, Ben, like, have I found that you cannot, if you're married to it, you're married to it. So, and if you're married to it and living with it and 24 hours a day, there isn't for me. And I think females more than males, um, you cannot disconnect all you can talk about, all I can talk about is work and how we can make it better and do more. And what, what was wrong today? What was the one thing Oh, the food went out bad today? We got to have a training and it's just so unhealthy. Um, but that's probably a whole nother story. Um, so the light bulb moment, he's let's build it. And I was like, you're high. I'm not, I'm no way we're going to make life easier. And I said, okay, I kind of put him up to a bunch of tests. I was like, you go find a lot, show me, you write a business plan. Because again, I knew I could do all those things and I needed him to convince me I wanted to go into business with him. And I think that sounds a lot more elegant now, but in essence, it's absolutely what I was doing. I was like, all right, well, you have to apply to be my business partner because I'm not doing all of this. I already know this will be a shit show. Um, and I remember sitting in that New York apartment, talking to my husband saying, here's a bucket we have to fill and that's therapy. Like, I'm telling you, you're such an artist, but like, this is gonna, could wreck us. Um, and he was like, you're crazy. You're crazy. I'll tell anyone, keep that bucket for therapy your whole life. Cause it saved my life. 
um, because you can't do it all. And that's probably my business advice. Number one, you cannot do it all is no matter who you are. Um, but Tom did, he came down here, he met a broker, he found this really cool off the beaten path land. They showed him ironically, a piece of property attached to the Fillmore, um, NC music factory. For those of you listening that aren't even aware of where VBGB is, it's in the NC music factory in circa 2010, um, New Yorkers. He brings me back to sign the lease. I'm, I'm doing it all sight unseen because apparently that is my habits, which I don't even know if I recognize that till we're talking. So that's kind of hilarious. Um, I signed the lease waiting for my C-section with my daughter because, you know, it was the only time I had real downtime. So why not? I was literally on the phone. I had eaten breakfast, so I couldn't have my C-section for five hours. So I negotiated the dang lease waiting for my C-section, talking to Noah Lazos, who owns the NC Music Factory prior. And that's what I did, waiting for my surgery. Um and people that know me will be like, none of that's surprising. And um, signed the lease, had this, had my daughter, and we came down on maternity leave. And that was the first time I saw it. And I had already signed the lease. Um, and we were so excited. It was this really cool area of Charlotte. It was off the beaten path. So dungy a little bit. How cool as New Yorkers. Flip the narrative, the location nearly tanked us. And it's the biggest struggle we had the first, I mean, even to this day, the struggle is really hard with our location. Um, so it's just ironic. Had I seen it, had I knew people besides my one brother who didn't tell me the location sucked, he just said the fact that we weren't serving Bud Light sucked. Um, I never, in hindsight, I never, ever, ever would have signed a lease in the NC Music Factory. So is the, is the issue of that location, especially at the time, right, 10 or I guess almost 13 years ago, being too far off the beaten path that it was like a destination, people had to specifically go to it? It's still a destination. Right. It was unsafe. I mean, I could tell you stories. There's the next book, the first five years of running VBGB. Um, crazy. And I don't know which one's a better book, the first five years at the hotel or the first five years of VBGB. Quite honestly, I'm not sure which one would be better. <laughs> um, but both scenarios presented life-threatening situations. We had crazy experiences at the NC Music Factory. It was crazy. Um, the only reason A2O came to exist was because there was a murder in the building behind us. There was a bad drug deal gone wrong. And you can look this up. Here's the crazy. It was on 9-11, 2015. Um, there were five people shot, including a girl, a bullet that went straight in our parking lot, straight through our tent, all the way into the back tent and through a customer's cheek. It was the most horrific story seen ever. My husband chased the cars down with his camera, live shooting in our parking lot. Um, and the news went wild that it was shooting at VBGB, which was all false news. It absolutely was not. Um, I had been arguing with the landlord at the time that where A2O is were these recording studios. Um, they weren't recording much except deals made. And that was a bad deal. And it was the last straw. And I said, you shut it down. Or I'm going to sue your ass. I have a file this thick of the first five years of all the shit we put up with. And that's another interesting point about who we are, who I am, like, I am put in a lot of crazy scenarios where most people would bail. And I think they're so shocking that like, 
I don't, bailing doesn't even seem, it's not even something you think about because you have to actually deal with the shit storm. You have to make sure everybody else is safe. You have to like take care that by the time you're done, you're like, now where am I going? Like quitting doesn't almost seem like an option in the scenarios I get myself into. Um, so a lot of crazy, but that's the location we ended up in coming in from New Yorkers blind. Like this will be the coolest destination everywhere. Charlotte is not your normal Metro city. And 13 years ago, it wasn't even close. I mean, South end didn't exist. But 13 years ago, Max was the only thing on South Boulevard. It was us, OMB, and four friends. We were the breweries that existed. And we're not a brewery. We were tap room. Duckworth had one location. Um, and Noda started exact same time we did. And Noda and us really did a lot together in the first few years. They're amazing people. Great brewery. Um, started with us. And four friends went out of business like a year later. So it was OMB, four friends. Bird song, I think at the time and VBGB. Um, so in fairness to my brother's testament, there wasn't craft beer, wasn't a thing. Um, and for sure, I feel responsible for uh, creating the outdoor vibe that's in Charlotte. And it just, again, my brother told me no one will sit outside. Well, guess what? Now the whole city sits outside. Right. right. <laughs> yep. So that's kind of the aha moment. Like, and really, again, sight unseen is what has been my success. And that's a little weird because I don't know that I've ever labeled it that way because I'm talking to you guys. And who does that? Like most people, and who has the reasons I have? Like, oh, cool. I don't have to take the subway to work. I'm in. Sign me up. Crack hotel. It's fine. Um, terrible <laughs> in New York. Like, I mean, in Charlotte, they just don't know it's cool yet. We'll get there. <laughs> So tell the listeners about the difference between VBGB and now the Hamilton, because VBGB, the first time I went there, I'm seeing sandpit um, volleyball courts. I'm seeing big like chess pieces. I think that was like a, you know, uh, and I think there was some uh, cornhole, something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was like, and, and pretty chill. And for anybody else listening, Avid Exchange, their headquarters is right across the street. And the music factory is a pretty cool thing. But you're you're right. If if uh, they aren't going to keep it safe, it will go down the way that the epicenter did in Charlotte. You, you know, you got to keep it safe. So you're probably a massive instigator to like holding somebody accountable, which is why you're fair and why people trust you because you hold them accountable. You hold yourself accountable, which I think is fantastic. But tell the listeners what 820 was pre COVID and what it is now and how COVID impacted that. Yeah, COVID, like any entrepreneur, especially if you're in the hospitality business, and not only are we in the hospitality business, we are a destination location based on mass gathering. So guess which is the last most impacted businesses in hospitality? My entire business model is mass gathering. Um, BBGB doesn't succeed unless we have 100 people minimum in it. So, you know, it's a big place. A2O was the same concept. The concept of A2O and all of us financial geeks will love this story, um, came up around in 2015. We went on our first first family vacation. Um, we had been at VBGB for five years, had never been a, taken time off. Um, 
I bought a couple of finance books because that was going to be my downtime of uh, reading finance books on the beach in Mexico. And we were already getting ready to bump the kitchen out at VBGB and the landlord was going to sell me two parking spots to do it. Um, that shooting happened right before we went on vacation and made me like this, that whole area has got to go like, or we're leaving and it's going to get real ugly. Um, so I was in communication with the landlord and okay, how much would you charge me to give me X amount of space in that building? Cause you are shutting it down. Let's be real. Um, so we started going back and forth and I was like, all right, how much for the whole building? Don't even ask me at that point. I was like, I don't know what I'm thinking, but I just was running math. Um, so went to Mexico and ran all the numbers. And I remember looking clear as day at Tom and saying, okay, you want the good news or the bad news? And he was like, oh God, which I'm sure my husband was like, oh, shoot me. Um, he was like, what, whatever. I said, okay, the good news is we're going to get a bigger kitchen. We're, I got this. I got it figured out. The bad news is we're opening a 20,000 square foot second facility and the whole front's going to be our revenue to pay the rent. And he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it only makes financial sense because I don't want to like, we got to cover the cost of that kitchen and we can just do a goofy little front and take the whole space. And then we won't have any comp competition either. So that doesn't get split up into many units. So we'll just take the whole, it's 17,000 square feet. And so he was like, okay, let's go. So thus A2L started. It literally was to bake a bigger kitchen for VBGB because in 2015, we were bursting at the seams. It was all the good problems that entrepreneurs have. You hit your critical mass. You have no idea what's happening. You can't even turn left or right without like, I mean, we were working 80 hours a week. We didn't even understand our own growth at that year. It was crazy. Um, so we needed a bear kitchen. Again, we thought we were going to do pretzels and a brat in day one. And it turned into, we were doing well over a million dollars in just food in the year 2015 out of a kitchen that it is still, but it's probably 10 feet by six feet. Um, and then we had an alleyway with a refrigerator and a freezer and the keg room, which turned into our whole thing. And of course we got violations every time they came in, but we had no space. We, we, the violations were worth the risk because we, there was nowhere else to put anything and you can't turn out a million dollars of food without quantity and volume mm -hmm. and where you put it if you don't have the space. So we turned eight, thus A2O, I took all of it and built the front half for anyone within there knows it used to be a karaoke of, it was an arcade to start a speakeasy, a pizzeria in our kitchen, and then the massive event space in the back. And it was just kind of a nod to all cool things that were missing in Charlotte at the time that you could do all in one roof. And that was our inspiration. It was like, let's just do everything that doesn't exist. And it's one destination. And then you have your beer garden across the street. And it's, we created a destination. So we wanted to do anything that you couldn't do at VBGB, you could do over at A2O. And therefore, you'd have a full concept. And that's what we did. Um, and we opened in 2015, late in 2015. It was like everything. And I think this is the piece for anybody considering business. I don't care how intelligent you are, how amazing you are. It's a struggle and you're never going to open your doors and be a slam success. And I think that's a really crazy, if your business succeeds, it grows organically. If you come out of the gates lines out the door, it's going to fade. You're a fad. Um, and I think 
these are of course my opinions, but I do think the organic growth will make you bipolar maybe, or a little bit crazy because you leave every day, like, holy shit, are we going to make it? And again, then you're married to that. So at home I'm stressed. Are we going to make it like, oh my God, oh my God. And I will tell you several times by anyone's standards, they would have told us to shut it down. I mean, literally talk about living penny to penny. We were bartenders. We were cooks. My husband and I split Thursdays and Sundays bartending. I mean, I can tell you if you were in BBGB in 2010, you knew us so well. I mean, 2011, you knew us so well. I've been to so many weddings of people we just befriended because we were, we were BBGB. Um, if it doesn't grow organically, in my opinion, in the trends I follow, or you don't have obviously deep enough pocket mom and pop, let's just categorize this down to mom and pops. Um, you don't want to be a fad, but that process is grueling to grow organically. Um, because you have to put your heart and soul into it. And then some, you have to be willing to compromise your entire concept. So VBGB opened, we were, had no TVs. It was going to be a really cool beer garden. We didn't want any sports. Um, we didn't have any all craft beer. And, you know, we were just going to be this cool, chill place. Well, fast forward a year, we had six TVs. We had PBR on tap because they sponsored us and were a great partner. Um, they helped us survive. And so you have to compromise. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people to understand. Like it's your vision is great. It gets you started, but the people are what sustain you. And if you don't listen to the people, you'll fail and you have to keep trying till you find that critical mass or that formula that somehow works. And it's probably going to be half your ideas and half your people. And if you're not open-minded to that, you're not a really a great candidate to be an entrepreneur in my opinion, in the hospitality mom and pop world. Um, so question on that. How how do you balance the two of saying, hey, this is my vision versus what I should be open to listening and adjust? And, and the quote that popped in my mind is the, the Henry Ford quote of, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. It's like, right, you, you can't only do what your customers are telling you to do. But at the same time, to your point, you need that feedback. How do you balance those two? Well, it was crazy because add in the concert scene, which I think we sort of understood in hindsight, we had no clue what we were getting into. Like now we're running a destination only place, no foot traffic. And then you go from zero to hundred on these amphitheater shows at the time. Fillmore wasn't really doing crazy numbers. We could handle it. But the first summer of amphitheater shows, I have story after story after story of hilariousness. Uh, in fact, two of my brothers were in town visiting August 16th, I'm pretty sure was the date, my morning jacket, circa 2010. And it was the first amphitheater show that I had a busser standing in our food line with a cardboard sign that said, come back in 20 minutes. My two brothers were in town, one was visiting and the other one brought his wife and his four kids at the time to come for dinner and show off BBGB. Walked in and <clears throat> I mean, holy crap. Uh, we had no idea. We ran out of food. We ran out of almost all our beer, ran out of everything. And my brother looked at his wife and was like, get out of here. And my two brothers jumped on our kegerator and were bartenders and later learned they were giving free beer to anyone who's wearing a Boston sports team hat. So that's just fun. Um, and it was like everybody for the next year, it just kind of went like that. You just, I mean, how many of my friends came to visit for the weekend and actually worked? I never, I was supposed to go on two girls trips for a weekend. That never happened. I mean, we just got our asses kicked for a solid year. And 
it wasn't success. It was how you were learning. Holy shit. I mean, literally got our asses kicked for that solid year of 2012 to 13. I would tell you, I probably cried more than I've ever cried. I hated everything we did. You can't fix it till you understand it. And I think that's another thing. Like you're watching, that was probably my year of like, we're just going to do, we're going to do what we can do. We're going to pump out as much as we can. And I'm going to tweet formulas every night. And I did. I, I mean, I remember after an amp show where our ticket times for food were like, you know, an hour and 20 minutes and we were just refunding everything out there. Here, take my cash. I don't care. Here you go. And I brought out the line, the line. And I said, okay, it's time for that rally. And everybody hated them because it was depressing. It was like, we just got our asses kicked. We're all covered in sweat. No one can breathe. They just want to quit. I wanted to quit. But we had to rally after everyone. I'm like, what could we do different? What are we going to try tomorrow? And I remember the, my head chef at the time being like, there's nothing we could have done. That's the best we could do. And I fired him right there in front of everyone. I'm like, you're out. Because there's always something we can do. And that's not how successful businesses run. And if that's your attitude and you're in, you're in charge. And so the next night I ran up, I made up formulas and we did 12 minute ticket times. And I you know, created the limited menu overnight. And just put it on paper and put it out there. I mean, again, it's hilarious in hindsight talking about it. I haven't talked this much about it in a long time because for sure I have PTSD. Um, for sure, the last place I will meet anyone in Charlotte is VBGB. Don't even suggest going there. Um, and if I'm there, it's because I'm working or dealing with fires. And I can't possibly relax in VBGB. It's like the worst place for me. Um, and I think a lot of business owners might say that I, I've met lots of locals too. Uh, we go to school with a family that owns pizza peel, um, and have had fun conversations with them too. But like, I'm like, so PTSD from this experience, but it's been rewarding in that it's given us the chance to have the lifestyle we want. I'm more present than probably a lot of parents could even imagine being and get to go to baseball all the time. And here's the partnership part that as much as I hate being a partner with my husband, we can divide and conquer the way we need to. And there's nobody telling us how to do it or it's wrong or, okay, you miss this tournament this weekend and I'll miss next week. Like it's so easy compared to what most people have to deal with to make ends meet. Um, so that's the trade-off, you know, I, again, in full honesty, do I love running restaurants? Absolutely not. No. And again, did I pick the hardest business in the world, in the hardest city, probably at the time in the hardest location? Yep. But I'm a hustler. And I guess that's a, I hate that word too, but I think I am because I'm seeing it in my son and I absolutely describe him as a hustler. Um, and that is in my DNA. It's not, I wish I could change it, but you know what? Like, I have, I've reached this point in life too, where I watch, I watch documentaries. I'm, I don't know who would guess this, but I can only watch true stories about everything and good, bad, ugly. Um, and I was really obsessed with cheer, which was this docuseries about this cheer team. That's fascinating. You think you're going to start this documentary about these talented gymnasts. Well, the moral of the story is, and I remember being so depressed after watching it. And also I did go to see them in Raleigh. They performed and I was probably in the front row because like the, I get obsessed with things and environments and people and their things. And I feel like I personally knew these gymnasts and I needed to like hug them and tell them how amazing they were as souls. And, but I, I finished watching that documentary during COVID. It was the first time I've actually ever binged something. I can't really binge. Um, 
And the moral of that story for me was, see, if you're average parents, you're going to have average kids. And if you don't, if you're doing all the right things, your kids are just going to be normal. You're not a superstar unless you've had the fight that you didn't ask for. So, and I believe that in a sense, I wouldn't change what I'm doing with my kids, but like my son's not going to the MLB as much as we love it right now. Like I'm not Tiger Woods dad. Like, so it's really fascinating to be able at this point in my life to look back and actually there's nothing like having children either to make you focus on your own childhood. Like you suppress it a lot when you're single, you're like working hard. And I say this to my therapist all the time. I'm like, you know, it's all backwards. Like they teach you when you're single, you just got to forgive everyone. And they did the best they can, but then you have children and it all comes back in a different light. Like, wait a minute, did they do the best they can? Cause like, I don't know. Parenting is a whole different beast, but you got to show up at some level and you got to be present. Um, but would I be the person I am without my childhood? No way. No way. And so it's a weird thing to really arrive at. And I, I really remember my, and like my husband was like, that's what you got from cheer. Like most people can't understand that (laughs) most people. And I have another friend who owns his own real estate company and his wife is like my sister. She still works for me. She was our nanny for six years. She's our events manager now. Cause when I find good people, I don't let them go. Um, and he understood it. He's like, I tell Alyssa this all the time. Like, we got to start with the club in the garage at six months old. Like, it's what Tiger Woods did. And if you've all never watched that documentary, but it's crazy. Like, in a weird way, would you be who you were without the fight that you didn't ask for? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and you and I have talked before, right? So we've got a lot of the similarities of, how we were raised and what we grew up to then become because of those types of struggles. But yeah, without those, it's, you need the, like the iron sharpens iron type thing. Like you need some of that resistance. Um, And are our kids getting it? I mean, not to the extent that we did, right? (laughs) No. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. So I know we're, we're getting to that hour point. Um, I want to I want to hit on one final thing before we wrap this up. Um, you've talked a lot of the things that made you come alive early, right? The struggle, the chaos, things like that. How, if at all, has that changed for you throughout your your journey? Right? You had the the nine plus years in the hotel. You had the you've got the twelve plus years running these businesses. The things that make you come alive today. What are the similarities and differences compared to 10, 15 years ago? That's a deep question. Um, I think I'm still figuring out the things I don't like. And I know that sounds weird, but like, I didn't have time for six years to even, there was no me. You're raising two kids. You're building this brand. You're, you were sleeping. That was it. If you could, um, there was no, what do you want to do? There was no doubt. There was none of that. So I think it's changed and COVID added in has made me start to become self-aware where I don't ever think I put time into myself. It was conquer, conquer, go, go. Who cares what you let, like what defined me was my career, my whole life. It wasn't anything extracurricular because all I did was work and build and build. I think I needed a certain financial security 
and still do. I mean, financial security is absolutely what dictates almost every decision I make because I grew up on welfare. Um, and I know what it's like to go to school and get your name called and have that free lunch card and pulled up. And those memories shaped me who I am. So success has always been measured in breaking a benchmark for me. And hobbies didn't really exist. Even exercise, I ran to eat. I mean, I ran to keep myself in check and really produce serotonin. It wasn't because I loved running. I ran the New York Marathon because I just wanted to check it off and say I did it. Um, it wasn't because I loved running. It's again, it's a huge benchmark. People are like, there's no way you can do that, really. And I ran it and it thundered and lightning. It was the worst year. They told you to take 20 minutes off your time, of course. So I'm also that person that always ends up in a weird situation for somebody who is pretty calm, introverted. It all finds me. Um and I think I'm working in this phase of life now to find me because I'm definitely not who I was 10 years ago. COVID, I'm older. I mean, an age is probably another teacher. Forget what you've done. Age is starting to show me you got to slow down. My kids are at an age where I remember at four or five and six, and I used to get so angry when people would like use stupid cliches and be like, enjoy this time. Because as you can imagine, I wasn't a great toddler mom. I was like, let's go be grown up so we can talk mathematics. Let's go. Um, I love this stage they're in where most people don't enjoy the teen years. I love it. I mean, these guys are becoming humans and I've learned to slow down. So I'm able to watch. I don't coach them as much. I have an amazing coach and I wouldn't be able to do life without her. Um but like watching them, I think I have stepped back a lot and I really enjoy, you don't have to have the answer. You don't have to fix this for everyone. You don't have to offer the advice if they didn't ask for it, even though you're watching a train wreck, like learning to be present is my like definite goals. Um, it's super hard because, and why I don't walk into BBGB as soon as I walk in anywhere, I'm like, oh my God, there's a typo on the drink specialist. There's no forks there. Like you cannot turn it off. Um, and I think I'm not sure how it's shaped me differently yet because I have never really, I don't even think I know how to put in the time to find me yet. And right. that's literally my goals in the next year or two and really enjoy these teen years with my kids and money is becoming less important to me, which if you'd ever said that, and not because I need, to, I don't need to be rich. I've never been that person. I just need security. And it's, what's that number? And it, it's a great question, right? Well, what does that mean to you? I don't know. I just need to be secure. I just need to be safe. Well, if you can't explain what safe is and is it really money or is it, you know, it's, there's a lot to that. So I definitely think I am hitting a point now though, like, was the fire worth the fight? I don't know. And I don't know how many entrepreneurs you guys talk to, like in hindsight, would I do it again? No way. But in hindsight, would I have kids again? No way. Like people don't tell you the truth about having kids either. Um, and there should be a psychiatrist, you know, psychological testing for that too. Cause not everyone's wired to do it and things rock you to your core. Only you can fix them. It's not like, you know what I mean? And what happens? Like we've built this life. You can't just quit. I can't walk away. We own it. And I think that's a really interesting thing. A lot of people don't understand where people complain about their jobs or they complain about this, or they complain about that. You quit and you can walk away where we've really built a life that walking away would be detrimental. Um, and it would bring out the worst and other things. So there's, 
the philosophical side of like, is the fire always worth it? No. I mean, you can't walk away. It's not that easy. Um, but I have a lifestyle that gives me the safety I need. Um, I'm just not sure. So I don't even know if I can answer that question sitting here right now. Like, what are, yeah, where no. am I going to be five years? I don't even know where I'm going to be next week. Like, That'll be how we start the next episode with you. So you can, you can take the time in between. You can answer it then. <laughs> um, Kara, thank you so much for sharing. This has been an, an incredible conversation. Um, for those listening, be sure to check out uh, VBGB. Go to vbgbuptown.com and then thehamiltonclt.com as well. And then obviously go go visit their venues as well. It's It's phenomenal. So... Thanks, Kara. Thank we you appreciate it. I hope I didn't bore everyone. No, not at all. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Anytime you're around Kara Tadio, you will never be bored. You will not be falling asleep. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's true. You're you're fascinating. So thank you. This was a great one. Well, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it.